This is Jorge from In Orbit, and you're listening to the MASHcast here on the MASH Those Buttons Network. To a special edition of the Mash Those Buttons Mashcast. I am Jarrett, and I'm here with the scourge of Iron Forge and Games Industry Public Defender, Nick Zelenkevich. Hey, how's everybody doing? Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to everybody. I think the, the last podcast we had was a few weeks before New Year's, so Happy New Year, first Mashcast of the New Year. And uh, today we are going to do our State of the Gaming Union for 2016. First podcast 2016, we got to talk about where we are, you know, as gamers in, uh, in, in our communities and the industry. And yeah, we were supposed to do this last year, but we forgot. <laughs> well, not just that we did, we didn't forget, but it just didn't work out. Uh, but yeah, this year, doing another State of the Gaming Union. And uh, last year was, uh, I would say it was an eventful year, but it was a hell of a gaming year. Like in terms of games that came out. I mean, we had quite a few AAA titles that were good, but then on top of that, saw a lot of smaller titles. Just all throughout the year, you, there were great games that got out, and that was that was good. But there's a lot of other things that happened in the game gaming industry that uh, you know shocked some, weren't weren't a shock to others, and we're just gonna talk about a few of them. I think uh, the the uh, first thing we're gonna talk about though is, is Microsoft's resurgence. It's like you know the comeback story of the year. Uh, you know. What was that next? I was going to say, it's really been building since before last year even, but I guess last year was sort of the, the uh, I guess, the, the, the culmination to a degree. Well, yeah, well, that was the thing. In 2014, we saw them put, you know, Microsoft put Phil Spencer at the helm for the Xbox. They needed it. They were in dire need of somebody to take the reins and get them back home. The same way Kaz did for PlayStation. Yes. They were they really needed that. And they gave the reins to Phil Spencer, I think it was like shortly before E3 2014. And this year, at E3 2015, we really saw what Microsoft was made out of. Now, now that Phil Spencer is in the front, they didn't even mention Connect. Not a single mention of Connect. What's that? Yeah, they didn't talk about any services coming to the Xbox One. The whole presentation was about games. And they're really focused on making the gaming experience better. And they're, they're focusing on just getting their core base back because they lost it. Yes, they they, re- they really did lose it, uh, and, and you know, one thing that is big deal to some people and not to others is backward compatibility. That I think they got some mixed uh, responses because some people are like I don't want to play old games, but for some of us like oh yes, thank you God, like we can play our old games. Like and for me, and I've said it several times over the course of the year, it was primarily about my Xbox Live Arcade games. You know, as soon as backward compatibility came online, well, not as soon as, sorry, as soon as I remembered that it came online, I went and I got um, 
Shadow Complex. That was one of the backward compatible games. I got Ikaruga. Uh, I got Toy Soldiers. I got a bunch of backward compatible games. Because in terms of like physical disc-based games, I traded pretty much all those in when I got my Xbox One. But the if you if you have like digital versions or had digital versions of games and they're backward compatible, they just show up on your Xbox now. And you can download them. Nice. And I'm looking really looking forward to more downloadable games like Gatling Gears. I really, really, really want them to you know make Gatling Gears backward compatible. I that was one of my favorite games on the Xbox. Period of the entire of the entire time the Xbox was uh, you know in play. So that was great. So Microsoft, they had that. They had backward compatibility. And even though I guess the sales numbers didn't show it, the sales number, I think, I think Sony pulled out, pulled ahead of Microsoft this year uh, in terms of sales during Thanksgiving specifically. I don't think we've seen the numbers from December yet. And we definitely haven't seen numbers that encompass the entire you know holiday season, which we'll just say that goes from kind of like October down to December. Uh, but Microsoft by definitely had the best exclusives this year. They had the best holiday lineup. They had Halo 5, uh, and they had Rise of the Tomb Raider. And I mean, it seemed like a lot, but compared to Sony's nothing, they had no, they had no exclusives out this holiday season. Everything they had was multi-platform. I mean, not even, Destiny's not even exclusive. It has exclusive content, but yeah, like, I don't know. Like it really felt like Sony kind of sat out this round. <laughs> well, wasn't Uncharted Four supposed to be out for this holiday season originally? I don't think so. It was always set to come out early this year. I think so. Yeah. I mean, they 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 put out the Uncharted Collection last last year. Like that's what I'm saying. Like that was that that's a remaster. That that doesn't count as an exclusive. Well, you know, I, I did hear stories of some people who bought that thinking it was Uncharted Four, and then were like, "Oh, oh, okay, I get it now." Yeah, great job not playing Uncharted Two. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, wait, wasn't there? Wasn't there the? Uh, there was the one uh, reviewer that reviewed Uncharted Two, thinking it was Uncharted Four. They were like, "This feels just like Uncharted 2. Yes, he, he did do that. You're absolutely right, and that's because it was Uncharted Two. Great job. <laughs> yeah, but Microsoft they really turned it around this year, and like I said, they, they in my opinion, I I did predict. And I predicted wrong. And you know the funny thing is about that? I, I'll, I'm i going to admit I predicted wrong because it's rare. I usually predict <laughs> right. Am I right, Nick? I don't keep track of these things. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you're the games industry public defender. Therefore, I am right. I'm not your public <laughs> defender. You go hire your own damn lawyer. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, no. like I usually predict right way more than the analysts because if the analysts were actually right, the consoles wouldn't exist right now. That is true. That is true. Yeah. We'd all be playing on our mobile phones. Yes, exactly. So I, I thought that Microsoft was really gonna was really gonna kill this year during the holiday season. I thought they were definitely gonna overtake Sony. But the thing I really didn't count was the fact that one, I didn't realize that Sony was going to drop the price to to the same price as the Xbox. Because in in twenty fourteen, over the holiday season, Xbox One sold more because of the $50 price drop. Now Sony's like, okay, fine, no problem, and they did the price drop as well. Uh, if Sony wouldn't have done the price drop, I think Xbox would have won again, uh, but they did do the price drop, and now, the thing I didn't take into consideration is the fact that a lot more people have PlayStations. 
period. So now when you go to buy a console, it's like, well, I have two friends that have an Xbox. I have 10 friends that have a PlayStation. I'm going to buy a PlayStation. And that's why I didn't take into consideration. So for all my fans out there, I'm very sorry that I led you astray this year, but it's okay. We're going to get back on our feet and have a great 2016. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, I think fundamentally you're right. And Microsoft had a great year. The problem is just that the amount of time it takes between having a great year and actually seeing the results of that are, I think, a lot longer than we expected. Uh, This holiday season, Sony still won just because of sheer momentum. Um, Next holiday season, I think it'll be a lot more interesting, assuming the trends keep up. If if Sony's not, you know, if Sony kind of keeps pissing away their own backward compatibility options, um, then I I don't know. I I guess, I mean, obviously it all comes down to what we see at E3 and the other conventions this year. But as things stand right now, at some point, Microsoft will overtake Sony, whether it's this year or next year, you know, presumably if they're going to let, you know, they seem willing to let the console sit out there for as long as they possibly can. So I think given enough time, and I think part of that too is that people, you know, they get their PlayStation and once they have their PlayStation, at some point they're like, oh, let me buy another console and then, you know, they'll buy a Microsoft console second um, and you'll see plenty of people with both. But I think that in in the end, I I think you will see Microsoft, at least, you know, within a given year, I think they'll start to pass Sony and, and sell more. It's just... Will it be this year? Will it be next year? That that momentum that Sony has can be hard to overcome. Yeah, and you know, I I can only hope for you know like you know um a closer race next year. But I'm not exactly sure what Microsoft's going to be able to do. They kind of blew their load this year with both Tomb Raider and Halo. Besides that, like what do they have that they can push out? That we know of, at least. You know, they got Gears and Forza, which I'm pretty sure Forza is. Either a new Forza just came out, or it's coming out. I think earlier, early this year, or it might be that might I, that I might have dreamt that. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I do. I think I like for, like uh, there is a new Forza coming out. But you know, Forza isn't. Uh, that's a that's a niche game. Uh, the game that would probably be more ex- important as a exclusive would be Gears, and I I do believe they are working on new Gears of War. Uh, and then they're probably going to hold it for holiday season next year. But now, now Sony, they didn't release any, like any, any great exclusives this year, or at least in terms of, um, the holiday season. So actually, no, Sony had a bad exclusive year period. Sorry. I, gotta, I actually got to put that up. Cause what was it? Bloodborne. Bloodborne was their big exclusive and the order. 1886 and both of those games i mean bloodborne has its it has its audience and people like it and the order didn't do well so you know it, their exclusives really didn't take off this year i think next holiday season sony is definitely going to have uh better exclusives like i think they kind of have to i'm just not sure what's going to be i know we i know we have uncharted but then again sony is has always been that company that takes chances on triple on new triple A uh, um, IP. When is the Final Fantasy the Final Fantasy Seven reboot coming out? Is that this year? Or is that next year? That's next year, and it's in multiple parts. But what about Dark Souls Three? That's not exclusive for. Oh, Sony, that's not exclusive. I okay, I don't think so. 
Bloodborne was exclusive, but I don't think Dark Souls is going to be exclusive. I'm pretty sure it's multi-platform. I mean, the Final Fantasy remake comes out, at least the first part comes out next year. Okay. But I'm not really counting that. I mean, that's a remake. Even though it's a new battle system, it's uh well not a new battle system, but they it's not the same battle system from the game. It's not just a it's not just the HD remake. It's well to my knowledge, it's not a reboot. I guess maybe you can't consider this a reboot because the game itself is supposed to be a little different. Like it's not supposed to be the same exact story. I'm pretty sure the same thing that happened. Like some of the, the major plot points will still happen. Like. Uh, Eris being killed. See, I don't know. That's what I like wonder. That. If you're gonna if you're gonna go through the trouble of rebooting it and changing certain elements, like you have to change that. At least leave in whatever alleged quest was supposed to be there that would allow her to be revived. Like that's got to come back in at some point if you're redoing this, right? I don't think so. I think that's a major plot point that they have to keep in there is Eris' death. No, I mean, I mean it could be she'll wrong. die, do, but I'm just saying they like can they can do whatever they want. <laughs> but so, I mean, like, somebody's got to bring her back. I feel like there's too many people. Like if you're gonna, especially if you're gonna put her back in, in you know, in the glorious graphics that we have now, like there's gonna be some fanboys who are like, yeah, but you know, I, I feel like somebody's gonna buy the game and play right up to the point where, where Sephiroth kills her, and then just like, and I couldn't play after that. I had to turn it off, and she'll live forever because Sephiroth will never kill her in my game. Uh, it's also Final Fantasy 15, which I don't even know what the status of that game is anymore. <laughs> I gotta be honest with you, I don't know what the status of Final Fantasy 15 is. So, I, maybe that's a holiday exclusive? Kingdom Hearts 3 is also coming out next year. Let's, let's check out the release that's, date for that. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts 3 sounds a lot more... I mean, not that Final Fa- Fantasy 15 doesn't have its fans, but... I don't know. Yeah, Kingdom Hearts 3... Actually, I don't know if there's any. Uh, that's that's just 3D. Yeah, that's that's not that's, that's 3D. Just dream drop distance or whatever the fuck they called it. Yeah, release date remains unannounced for Kingdom Hearts three. Uh, so I know there's a uh, Kingdom Hearts HD 2.8 final chapter prologue. Uh, that's that's coming out. That's probably coming out earlier in the year. But Kingdom Hearts 3, so maybe that's one for the holiday season. That would be huge. People mm. who have not bought PlayStations will buy PlayStations for that. I feel like, though, if you like Kingdom Hearts, I feel like you already have a PlayStation for other reasons, but you're right. I don't know. I mean, there's some people who just love that game. you know, And that, I think that, that could be a console seller, to be perfectly honest with you. I gotta catch up. I need to hook my PlayStation 3 back up so I can finish the Kingdom Hearts, the, 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 uh, what was it, Kingdom Hearts 1.5. And then I gotta play 2.5. So I can play 2.8 and then play 3. The Kingdom Hearts sequel numbering system makes my head hurt. Yeah. Have you ever played Kingdom Hearts? No. It is interesting. Like, the reason I was, because, you know, we, when you talk about Kingdom Hearts, right, and then people look at the fact that it has Disney characters in it, it automatically is kind of like, kind of stigmatized. You know, because it has Disney characters in it. But, a lot of people don't know about the way that Disney deals with Japan. They deal with Japan differently than almost any any other region that they're in. Uh, Disney typically handles or is very close to the production of anything that has their characters or uses their IP, especially when it comes to Mickey Mouse, except in Japan. 
in Japan, Disney just licenses out the characters and says, okay, have a good time, and that's it. <laughs> that's not how you want to do your characters in Japan. Yeah, like, that's pretty much it. Like, there's, um, in Kingdom Hearts 2, and, you know, this game has been out for, actually, as of this year, it'll be six years, guys, so I'm not gonna mute this spoiler. <laughs> but there is a a part in Kingdom Hearts 2 where Goofy dies temporarily, okay, in the game. He gets killed temporarily in the game. And then you see a very angry Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck go to avenge their friend. If Disney actually had anything to do with that, that would not have happened. Mm. You know what I'm saying? So first of all, seeing Mickey Mouse angry, like, and I'm not just talking about, oh boy, I'm so angry right now. I'm talking about, like, super pissed off. He's about to go rip somebody's face off. Angry. You know? Like, that's... Yeah, that wouldn't happen if Disney was close to the game, but they're not. If you go to any Disney theme parks, you will also notice there's no Kingdom Hearts stuff there. That's true. That's true. There's no Kingdom because that that's just the relationship that they have. So Kingdom Hearts is a little different. Like it's it's very it's just interesting the way they 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 handle it. You know, it's not just about good versus bad. It's about you know light and dark and darkness consuming people. <laughs> you know, it is it is very different. If you haven't played, I think it's 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 a good game to play. It's totally worth it if you can get through the camera fuck ups in the first one. Oh my god, that's how with with uh, Kingdom Hearts one point five, they were so true to the original that they kept the camera fuck ups. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, and Jack and Daxter also with their HD remakes kept the kept the fucked up controls. <laughs> they, they, they didn't fix the like the little control errors. That was kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Sony, Sony, they, they, I think they can if they if they put out a bunch of exclusives next holiday season. They're obviously, I think they're gonna you know run the table again. But I just don't know what Microsoft has to offer. I do know Microsoft is focusing more on exclusives. Like there's that game with that robot thing where you can move the core from one device to another. I think that's what it's called, core, isn't it? I don't know. I just, it's like, but basically you just move the core from one robot to the other. Yeah. And yeah, and that seems pretty cool. So I'm curious to see how that's going to work, but I don't know how it's going to be. I mean, Phil Spencer's at the helm. Anything can happen. Recore. It's called Recore. Recore. Okay. I'm looking forward to the Microsoft E3. Shit, I'm looking to both Microsoft and, no, I'm looking forward to all three. E3 presentations, now I think about it. Yes. I'm looking forward to Microsoft to see what, you know, like, how, like, how are you going to continue this? You're still the underdog. How are you going to come back? How are you going to take your spot? At least in the United States. At least in the U.S. They got to take that, you know, they got to win home court, mm-hmm. you know? So how is Microsoft going to do that? Sony, like, what are you going to do? How are you going to combat this monster that's on your heels? You know, because Microsoft is coming for you. They're hungry. How are you going to, you know, keep the lead? And then for Nintendo, what's up with the NX, baby? <laughs> that's going to be, that's going to be big. That, that, I think, the NX, depending on what it actually is, could be a huge problem for both. Because if the NX comes out and it's as powerful as Nintendo was trying to make it out to be, which remember they also tried to make it seem like the Wii U was going to be powerful. Okay, no, if, I don't think they did. I don't ever remember feeling like the Wii U was going to be powerful. They said like, remember the Wii U was coming out at the end of the last generation, 
and they're like, well, no, this console is definitely going to be more powerful than the Xbox 360 and the PS4. They tried to sell the power a little bit, but they knew it couldn't compete. With I, I honestly consoles. don't remember that. I remember he, thinking that it was going to be like, oh, they're they're going to make something that's going to be roughly on par with the 360 and the PlayStation. Well, Maybe it'll be, be, if, it, if it was going to be more powerful, it was only going to be slightly more powerful, not the orders of magnitude that you would expect when you're jumping uh, console generations. Right, yeah. Well, yeah, this is what they, they said before they even had that little presentation at E3, where they showed the fish in the water. And everybody was like, what the fuck is that, man? <laughs> but, um, you know, if the NX is as powerful as, they, as they're kind of making it out to be, I think that could be a huge problem for both Sony and Microsoft for the simple fact that not only is Nintendo going to get the backing of, uh, you know, more developers... Especially, you know, Epic hasn't played ball with Nintendo in over a decade because of the limitations of the consoles. And Epic will be back on board because Epic will go with whoever can, can you know, work with their engine. So you have Epic, you'll have, Cry, you know, CryEngine, you'll have Unity, you'll have all these different engines and more people to make games for them. And then on top of that, you have the first party titles that have been keeping Nintendo alive in the first place. Mm. You know? The only thing they're going to have, Nintendo would have to do, is as a courtesy, make sure they tell other publishers, look, we're dropping a Mario game in this month. <laughs> <laughs> or, you look, we're dropping, uh, you know, we're dropping uh, a Mario Kart. Or we're dropping a Smash Brothers. So they can stay away from it. It's like with Star Wars. You know what I'm saying? You don't release near certain Nintendo games. Especially if they have the advantage. So I'm very curious of. Uh, and also, actually, right before the end of the year, they we, there was those uh, uh, patents that we saw for the new NX controller. Yes, which has two thumbsticks, but the rest of the controller looks like a like an actual like a touchscreen. Yes, and it looked interesting. I, the I because usually I'm not a touchscreen fan, but depending on how they do the feedback on the controller, it could be pretty nice. Well, and I think the thing too that they keep saying, or at least I keep hearing, is that there's supposed to be some sort of mobile component and it looks like the controller could well be the mobile component. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, obviously we have no idea. (laughs) That's what we'll have to find out, but it, uh, it definitely, I don't know. It's almost like Nintendo took a generation and it was just like, you guys fight amongst ourselves. We're just going to do our own thing. And then they're like, you know what? We're coming back. (laughs) (laughs) And so Sony and Microsoft are busy punching each other, and then Nintendo is just going to jump out of nowhere with, like, a Donkey Kong slam and just beat the shit out of both of them, so. Yeah. So, uh, let's move on. Enough talking about uh, Microsoft and, I guess, all uh, those other consoles, but let's talk about a major, major, uh, I guess uh, something that that will be remembered from 2015, and that is the separation of Konami and Kojima, and how that happened, and how unprofessional that was on Konami's end. They really felt like a jilted boyfriend. It's not even just Konami and Kojima. Konami, like... I feel like Konami's going to wake up in 2016, like, hungover and like, what the fuck did I do in 2015? <laughs> because it wasn't just Kojima. They also had the whole PT debacle and, and, and some of the pachinko stuff. And yeah, like, Kona- what the, like, I don't even know what Konami's doing at this point. Right. Well, you did, you did put out a, uh, you did uh, make a timeline, so we might as well just go through it. Yeah. I, I called it the fall of Konami. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, so 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 real quickly to go through this, and it starts it starts in, in 2014 is like the little like setup is that it was August of 2014 when PT was released, um, but then really 2015 for Konami kicked off in March. We had the first rumors that Kajami Kajami Kojima <laughs> was gonna leave. Konami. That's what's gonna be called when Kojima goes back and buys it from him. That's what this should be called is like Kajami Gate. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so the sources in 2015 uh, March. That was when we first heard that after uh, Metal Gear 5 that Kojima was leaving. Um, and that was when, I guess, like restri- uh, communication was restricted between Kojima's team and the rest of Konami. And his contract was supposed to end in December. And this was the first time that Koj- uh, Konami started removing the Kojima logo from, I think, the Metal Gear website and some of the Metal Gear art. Um, and then it was April, April 26th, when we, when uh, Guillermo del Toro and Norman Reedus started commenting that Silent Hills was canceled, which was what PT was the trailer for, and then the next day, April 27th, Konami confirmed the cancellation of Silent Hills, and they announced that on April 29th they would be pulling PT from the PlayStation Network uh, store, which they did. So April 29th, PT was pulled. You could no longer download it, or you could no longer, I guess purchase it it was free so it was you weren't really paying for anything but if you had already downloaded it previously you could re-download download it again if you wanted and then it was in may that konami was like no you're not able to download it at all anymore so now if the only way you could access pt was if you had already downloaded it on a playstation you could not download it again fresh um, even if you had technically acquired it with your account previously um, and at that point, that's when consoles with PT were being sold on eBay for like thousands of dollars. Uh, then in July 14th, uh, Kojima's name and logo were removed from the Metal Gear 5 box art and Kojima Productions was closed. Uh, I think at that point they had, I think they had already renamed the studio to uh, the, the Los Angeles. I think it was just Konami, yeah, Konami Los, Angeles. Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. And then in August 21st, we had the announcement of the Castlevania Pachinko with its erotic violence. Yeah, I'm actually, I, I didn't, I looked at the timeline, I didn't know that it was erotic before, so I'm watching the trailer now, I'm like, what, how, what does that have to do with Pachinko? <laughs> well, it's, there's lots of, like, tongues and asses in this trailer. Like, what does that have to do with Pachinko? You don't think of tongues and asses when you think of Pachinko? No, I, I really <laughs> don't. Like, <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I don't even know what Pachinko really is. So maybe that's part of the problem, but it's, any type of like any type of gambling machine, <laughs> you know, I'm not really thinking it's gonna be erotic. I guess it's one of those gambling machines that has like the L C D screen on it and when you I guess when you pull the thing down, you know, if you get seven 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 it'll have like a chick with like a tail. I don't know, like Some, it's something <laughs> like that. that something is. like that. Yeah, so that that's what the the great Belmont clan has been reduced to. Oh yeah, it's terrible. But uh, but then on September first, Metal Gear Five was released, and then on September twenty first, Konami insists that they will continue to make AAA games. That they're not just because they canceled Silent Hill and well, and they didn't actually say Kojima was leaving at that point, but just because they canceled Silent Hill, they were going to continue to make Metal Gear games. Um, so we didn't have to worry about anything. Everything's good for them. Uh, and then on October 5th, they filed a trademark, or I should say the K- Konami's Pachinko division filed a trademark for Big Boss. 
So presumably at some point we'll get a Metal Gear Pachinko game. I, I guess so. I'm still. This trailer is still going on, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> It'll go on in your head for a while. <laughs> it's still going on. And I, I think Simon Belmont just had a threesome. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's if you get all sevens. <laughs> but So then things get fun on October 9th because that's when Kojima has his farewell party and he leaves. Um, and that's when Konami's like, that was not a farewell party. He's just taking a break because it took him a lot of work to get out Metal Gear and teams take breaks all the time. And on actually, I'm, I'm sorry, it was it was October 20th when when uh, Konami said that, that. Yeah, Kojima's just on break. Yeah, he's just on vacation, even though he's pretty much like he's done. Um, and then on 11-3, Konami confirms the closure of Kojima Productions. I guess that was the, uh, at that point, that's when they're closing the Los Angeles studio. It was earlier in July. They just renamed it yeah. from Kojima Productions to Kojima, or to uh, Konami Los Angeles. Now they closed Konami Los Angeles. Uh, and then on twelve fifteen, Konami finally admits the truth that we've known all along since October 9th that Kojima is no longer working for them. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what the, 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 I guess they just wanted to wait until his contract was officially over. Cause we did say earlier, his contract would end in December. And I guess the 15th was when it did end. And then on December 16th, Kojima shows up and announces that there's going to be a new studio that he's working on and he's partnering with Sony and you get that video of him and I can't think of a gentleman from Sony making googly eyes at each other. Uh, yes, yes. There's so many like me like you know gif meme uh, gif memes that came out of that. Yes. It was a lot of fun. One thing that's, that's not on your timeline that's worth mentioning is at the the video game awards which actually Oh, that's right. Suck that's this right. Year, you know, uh Jeff uh, Keeley Came straight up came out and said that Konami would not allow Kojima to accept the award. Yes, that was early in December. Early in December, yeah. So that was interesting. As I say, like the way Konami handled this whole situation uh, was, yeah, I, uh, it was very not professional. No, you know? and you had executives from other companies even saying like, "What the hell, man." <laughs> like I think it was somebody from Square. I think one of the Square executives like. I guess he was asked about it like in an interview. I can't. I can't imagine he would have given an interview just about the Kojima situation. But yeah. But he was like, he's like, yeah. What what Konami's doing is very unusual and very unprofessional. And yeah, it's. I don't know. I mean, I get it. Like you work with somebody for thirty years. Like you establish. You would think like the company and you like have each other's back to a degree. But when things go south, things go south fast. And I don't know. I, I did. Like, did Konami have some kind of change in leadership or something? Like, what happened at, like, early, like, the end of 2014, early 2015 that, like, set all this off? Because I don't remember the last time we talked about Konami, like, yeah, Konami, what a great company. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I think, I I wonder if Kojima just wanted to leave and they were just upset about it because, you know, he is, uh, he's the only one doing anything with his properties. Uh, I mean, think about the Castlevania property. Like, what good Castlevania game has really come out in in the past? I don't know, fifteen years. Metal Gear is their is their by far their largest property. Yes, you know it's their largest property. So, and, and Kojima just constantly pushed out 
good Metal Gear games, even the ones for the mobile, for the mobile, uh, you know, for like the Vita and stuff like that, or Vita or PSP. And maybe Kojima, he just, he outgrew them finally. I was like, look, times are changing. I need more money. And maybe they just didn't have the money to do what he wanted. I mean, if anything shows it, the end of Metal Gear Solid Five uh, really didn't feel complete. Uh, and I'm still playing for that right now, to be honest with you. So you you haven't completed the incomplete end. Well, no, but it's it's weird because it's the way it's put together, the way the game is put together. Like you can actually skip over the last two important chapters of the game. Because the last two cha- important chapters of the game are 45 and 46. But after you beat chapter 44, you go to chapter 47. You beat 47, it gives you 48. You go to 48, it gives you 49, 50, etc. But the last two important chapters of the game are 45 and 46. So the way it was slapped together at the end really uh, it was strange. Like It was almost kind of rushed. You know, like the whole, the first part of the game, the first chapter, as it's called in the game, excellent, excellent, you know, and it was, I was going to have a tough time deciding between that and Batman for game of the year until I got the chapter two. I was like, nope, Batman. (laughs) Absolutely. But yeah, this is 2015 will be remembered. Like when Konami goes under. Yes. When Konami goes under, it'll be be like, remember remember 2015? Remember what happened in 2015? Because that is what the breakdown was. Yes. You know, I I just want to say, going back to the Castlevania games just for a moment, I know there were some good games on the whatever Game Boy systems were out, but the fact that I'm calling it a game by probably dates it. Like, when was like Symphony of the Night and all that stuff? Was was that 15 years or more ago? Symphony, Symphony of the Night. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's over 15 years. Okay, because I I feel like there have been some good Castlevania games here or there, but you're right. Lately, lately the franchise has suffered. But I guess when all you care about is Pachinko, then you know who cares about the quality of your other games. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, well, not to say that other publishers aren't in it for the money, but they're really, really in it for the money. <laughs> you know, like so just follow the money. Take our properties, take our IPs, and follow the money. If Pachinko's where that is at for them, that's where they're going. So, I think we should start a Pachinko podcast this year. I think we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> the only company we'd be following is Konami. That big boss Pachinko machine is finally out. Nick wasted a thousand dollars in it. But think about all the tongue and ass that I'd get to see. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what you're looking for. Baby on the way, right? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's move on. Uh, and I want to talk a bit about the Gamers Gate resurgence, which when me and Nick were talking pre-show, Nick was kind of like, I don't think it was really a resurgence. I was like, well, it is to me because I thought it had died down. You know, I thought, you know, what was it? When did Gamergate really appear? What was it 2014? Like summer 2014, right? Yes. That's when that really started happening. And then there was an uproar about it, and then people started doxing people and making, uh, well, specifically, um, well, it's, it, I'm going to catch flack for however, however I say it, because if you say Gamer Gators doxed, you know, Sarkeesian and Bianca Wu, you inevitably have people like, those people aren't from Gamers Gate, they're just, they're, they're, they don't represent us, but at the same time, they were throwing on the Gamer Gate hashtag. The bad thing about, not the bad thing, but the bad news to people who support Gamergate 
for the simple for the real fact that they uh really don't you know they care about ethics and games journalism the bad news for them is that until 2015 gamers gate wasn't a movement or gamergate sorry gamers gate is a website which they sent several emails to us about that but um <laughs> that's, that's pretty funny yeah but gamergate it wasn't really a movement it was just a hashtag and anybody who wanted to say anything could throw on that hashtag and say it. So if a misogynist throws on the Gamergate hashtag and does what misogynists do, say things to women and harass women and doxes Anita Sarkeesian and Brianna Wu, that that's part of the movement now. You know, which, like I said, it wasn't really a movement, but it, like, it counts. It counts. You can't just say, well, that's not how we really feel. When there's you, there's no leadership or no focal point for the movement that can clearly say yes we support this or no we don't support this i think uh, maybe that's why there was a resurgence because in 2015 it felt like okay now there are some focal points there are some focal people in this movement that can say yay or nay to certain things that gamergate stands for you know, and I'm not just talking about a couple dudes. Like, there's, you know, obviously guys, but there's also um, quite a few females, uh, notable females, some porn stars, and the movement as well. Um, not that that has any weight. You know, I said porn star. I'm like, hey, she's a porn star. Totally, you know, negates all the misogyny. <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um... Yeah, and that's like when Gamergate was at its height, there was no movement. There, there was there was just the the tag, and unfortunately for Gamergate and the people who really do care about game uh, ethics and games journalism, a lot of the people who threw the hashtag on, they really don't like women. They really did feel like women were encroaching into their space. Uh, that's just that is just the, the the fact of the matter. Even if you aren't one of those people. So that's why you have to understand why it was so easy for Sarkeesian specifically to come out and say, hey, this the Gamergate's misogynist. And of course the games press is going to say it's misogynist. They're going to take the worst parts of it because Gamergate was against the press in the, in the current way that it was being handled. So of course they're going to say it's negative. You know, you're not going to have any friends there. Uh, so this year, though, we saw things like SJ Airplay and uh, there's actually been some, well, they were not necessarily streamers, but I've seen there are people who put YouTube videos up regarding Gamergate and specifically the assets aspects of Gamergate that are in regards to ethics and games journalism. Uh, there was going to be a panel at South by Southwest Save Point discussing the gaming community. Now, that actually was not a Gamergate-specific um, panel, but it was ran by Gamer Gators, apparently. Oh, people associated with the Gamergate movement. Now, Gamergate seems to be more of a movement. It seemed, it, I don't know, Nick, you can you can hop in here anytime, but it seemed more organized to me this year. I don't know if it was more organized, and and maybe I mean maybe you're right. It, it seems to be like it's always been kind of a a steady level of you know sort of existing in the background. Um, and I think it just so happened that there were some high-profile incidents that maybe certain people within the movement have finally 
uh, I shouldn't say finally, but I think certain people in the, in the movement had sort of organized themselves enough to a degree that they could get notice, um, such as the SJ Airplay incident. Um, which, it all, I mean, I think that's part of it too, is that the, they've gotten to the point where it's not like, I mean, that's a little, that's an odd incident in and of itself as far as you had a Gamergate uh, event uh, being threatened with bomb threats. Yeah. Um, where, you know, the normal, you know, sort of the, the normal expectation would be that it's Gamergate calling the bomb threats in for, you know, like a, a Sarkeesian appearance, for example. Um, so it, it was noteworthy in, in sort of that the tables had been turned a little bit, that they've established themselves, and maybe it was just a matter of just waiting out until the misogynists and, and sort of the more vocal vitriolic members of the community either got tired and moved on to something else. Um, it could well be that everybody that was being misogynistic is just too busy being distracted by Trump right now to care about games. Um, but there's, it, it, it does seem that they've sort of coalesced a little bit. It's almost, it's, it's almost like, like blacksmithing, like, when it first came out, they were just hot molten le- molten lead getting, you know, heat everywhere, burning stuff, being very damaging. And then now they've cooled and they can actually be forged a little bit and they can actually be united a little bit. And it's, it's interesting to see because the, the media is still is still very, I, th- I think, well, the sites that you would expect to be against Gamergate are still very much against Gamergate. Um, it feels like there's no actual dialogue and maybe there is dialogue going on in places that I'm just not looking. Um, no, there's no dialogue. I there's, no, no, that, that, that everybody's kind of entrenched. And I think it's almost more of a cold war type stat status where, you know, you, you go to a site and you know, you know, you know what Polygon does, you know what Kotaku does. Um, you know, it's, everybody's kind of just gone back to their corner and there's no real, there's no real point to engaging because it just leads to name calling and doxing and bomb threats and all of that stuff. Um, and at the very least, I mean, it's a bit more civil if that stuff's not happening. Um, but nothing happens. Exactly. Nothing happens. And there's no resolution. There's no actual, um, you know, there's, there, there, Neither like, like neither side comes to an understanding. Is is it just everybody took their ball and went home? Um, and that's not that's not a dialogue. That's not any kind of progress. Um, you know, is everything quieter? Yes. Is everything better? Um, not really. And that's I, I think I think that's I mean that almost feels like the great question of our era is that you've got all these disparate viewpoints that the internet has given a voice to, and everybody. Everybody, you know, we, we always hear about like the echo chamber and you only surround yourself with, with information that you agree with and anybody else, you push them away. And there's not, as much as the internet gives room for dialogue, there's just not a lot of dialogue that's happening. And, and you would think that the whole point of communications medium like the internet is to foster understanding and there's no understanding. Everybody kind of just, you know, gets their viewpoint, gets it reaffirmed and then walls themselves from everything else. And it, it seems that that's kind of where the Gamergate issue is kind of settling down is that either you're, you know, you're pro Gamergate or you're, you know, an SJW or you're pro, you know, you're, you're, you're you support the rights of everybody or you're, you know, you only want, you know, game, you want to see your games continue to feature, you know, sexy women and that's it. And then, you know, like, and I don't know, I mean, it's, 
I, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't think that's where this should end, but and, I, and presumably it won't end. But I don't see how this changes. I don't know. I feel like we're gonna see. I feel like in 2016 we're gonna see something happen again. That something's gonna bring this back out. That we're not we're not to a place where either side can claim victory. I don't think we'll ever be to a place where either side can ever actually claim victory. But we're not. This is still an issue. I think it's it's not boiling right now like it was. In, in 2014 and, and for parts of 2015, I think it's, it's just, it's simmering, you know, the, the water's still warm. It's simmering. We're going to see something happen again. Yeah. And you're right about the, there's no communication on either side, but the one thing I will give the gamer gators is the fact that I don't see them closing up their comment sections. I don't, I don't like a game, a pro gamer gate video or pro gamer gate article. I don't see them closing up the comment sections. Whereas, uh, you know, with, and not, I'm not just talking about Sarkeesian's videos because she's always, uh, closed down her comment section. That's, that's well known. She does not want to discuss what she just said, but, um, you know, even like Polygon or Kotaku heavily, heavily moderated, uh, comments. Yes. Well, I think know. that speaks to i think sort of the underlying well i don't want to say the underlying philosophies of the two groups but i feel like again because you had the more vitriolic members well i I shouldn't say the more vitriolic members i think you have to look at it seems like the the perception would be um is that on the gamergate forums they're going to chase off anybody who doesn't disagree with them on the non-gamergate forums they can't chase those people off they're just gonna shut the site down. Like it, it, it's it's like I, I and I mean I'm not saying that there aren't vitriolic, you know, social justice warriors for lack of a better term. I'm not saying that there aren't peaceful gamer gators, but it just seems like that the, that when when you get some kind of argument on a gamergate site, that's when those people will get sort of militarized and just shout down the dissent. Whereas when you get it on an, on like a Polygon or a Kotaku, they're going to try to moderate. They're going to try to control the discussion. And effectively, they'll silence those people by turning off their ability to speak. Um, it's, a, yeah. it's a slight, diff- it's a slight difference, um, but the end result is that neither side is talking to each other. See, I'd almost agree with you, but in situations – like I've seen so many situations where somebody will have a dissenting opinion on a pro – uh, on a pro, sorry, on a, on a uh, you know anti gamergate article, and they'll get shouted down by the SJWs. No, you're right. You're right. That, I've that, seen that happen yeah. more than once, but I'm not just talking about you know when I talk about heavy moderation, I'm not just talking about people who are coming out and actually saying misogynist things and actually saying things that are like negative about women. Uh, I'm talking about people who just have different a difference in opinion. Like I've seen people the comments where somebody will say something about Anita Sarkeesian, like she is deceptive in her videos because of blah, blah, blah. First it gets shattered down, then it gets removed. I mean, I've seen that. So, yeah, you're right. Like, either, like both sides don't communicate with each other, but I, I really don't see... Like, you're right. The, um, the, the pro Gamergate articles or videos, they'll probably just, like you said, they'll militarize and shout them down. But in the... And then in the anti-gamergate articles, you'll just you'll you'll start to see that stuff disappear. And there's that you know what you were talking about, just surrounding yourself with the ideas that suit you. That's exactly what happens. Yeah, but there's got to be some type 
of dialogue here. And in the case of the South by Southwest save point thing, that was ridiculous. The fact that the, 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 the panel was a discussion on the gaming community and I cannot remember the name of the women. There was two women that were going to run it, but the women were associated with Gamergate. And because they were associated with Gamergate, you had a lot of anti-Gamer uh, Gamergate people coming in saying, oh, I'm not going to come because now I don't feel safe and blah, 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 and basically got the panel shut down because it's a difference in opinion. That's bullshit. That's complete bullshit. That, that, and I... And for South by Southwest to actually make that call and say, okay, well, we're going to get rid of the panel uh, with no evidence whatsoever that there's actually an issue, you know? That's, that's fundamentally a living example of what happens on the forums. But the problem is, like, on the forums, you don't have to physically restrain somebody from appearing. <laughs> like, right. you just prevent their access. It's, I mean, fundamentally, it, again, it comes down to the fact that it's like either you can have, you know, you can have a discussion with gamer gators you have a discussion with non-gamer gators and you can't mix the two it just you just can't and that's that's what happened in south by southwest this you know they tried to mix the two and ultimately had to make a call though what happened there is you know the gamer gators that are you know about ethics and games journalism and even about, you know, talking about what's kind of going on in the gaming community, the anti-gamer gators just kind of use that sweeping, well, they're misogynist, they're misogynist movement, so, you know, we shouldn't, you shouldn't allow them at your, you know, at your event. You know, that's, it's almost the same thing as all Muslims are terrorists, not that bad, but, but you know, it's kind of in the vein of the same thing. And it, 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 I, I, I kind of lost a little respect for South by Southwest for canceling that. To be honest with you, uh, in, in honesty, I don't know. I mean, obviously they they could have let it go on, but I f- I feel like there was so much attention to it. I kind of don't blame them for just being like, just, just I'm I'm not dealing with this. <laughs> just, well, you know what? Like I, that- I, like I don't I don't think they were intentionally trying to silence any kind of. They were. I think they were just like, this isn't worth it, and we're just out of it. But like, isn't South by Southwest supposed to be about open ideas and exchanging ideas? I thought it was about music. Well, that portion, yeah, like it, it was originally. Like it was about you know music and collaboration and stuff like that. But now they've expanded way past that. You know, there's software developers at South by Southwest. This is a sp- this was a specific, like a very specific event called South by Southwest Safe Point. You know, so it wasn't actually just regular South by Southwest, but they were supposed to be about exchanging ideas and you know stuff like that. But how can you exchange ideas if you're going to silence one side? Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, very disappointed in them. But yeah, Gamergate definitely came back this year, and they're not going anywhere. Just to just to let you guys know, if you think they're gonna die down, if you think you can mute them out of your comments, and that's gonna be it, no, they're they're not going anywhere. Uh, to, to be perfectly honest with you, which surprised me. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, they're not gonna take this lying down. All right, well, I'm curious to see you know what's gonna happen. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I just don't feel as affected by Gamergate um, because, oh, or, or I shouldn't say, uh, I shouldn't say affected by Gamergate, but I don't, I'm, I, I don't feel affected by the issues that they're fighting for because I don't. As funny as it is, because I do podcasts for gaming, I don't deal with the games media. Like I don't read reviews, I don't read previews, I don't watch trailers. 
<laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then how like, do we talk about stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't read reviews, previews, or watch trailers. Uh, I'll typically, instead of reading, you know, one of Polygon's editorial opinion pieces, I'll actually read what actually happened. You know, I'll read the different things that happened in a certain event. But like, so that's like for me, like that's maybe I'm not, I, I, I'm not part of that, you know, that movement either way. Because the games media has failed me a long time ago. The games media failed me. This is why I started Mashals Buttons in the first place. You know, you get tired of seeing a game that doesn't deserve a nine out of ten on IGN get a nine out of ten on IGN. You know, that's because it deserved a ten out of ten. Oh yeah, great. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you get tired of seeing it. Well, yeah, at first it's the paid reviews, and it's like, oh, well, we're not getting paid, but they're gonna give you these. You know, we're gonna give you this exclusive interview if you guarantee us a seven out. You know, a score above a seven. Like, you know, that was that's been going on for so long to the point where it's like you can't trust the games media for the most part. But who? I, I, I don't know, and maybe this is me being naive, but like, doesn't everybody know this? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like, who's who? And, and I, I guess maybe it is naive because IGN still wields a large amount of power within the industry. But like, who, like, who doesn't? Who trusts their reviews? I mean, like, who goes to IGN actually thinking like I'm going to get like an honest review for a game. I mean, you'll get a feel for how the game plays, but you know, like, I mean, and to a larger degree, like, re- review scores, like, on the whole, like, like, they don't mean anything. Like, they, I don't know that they ever meant anything, but, like, at best, like, you just find a reviewer that you, 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 you know, you find a reviewer that you kind of agree with in general, and then you, you, you trust him, you know? It's kind of like how, you know, people used to look to, like, Ebert for movie reviews. Is like, you understood, like, how he reviewed movies, and then you could figure out what his score actually meant. And so... Yeah, it's you find a site that you find a site that at least you understand how that you know what their criteria they're using that should agree with how you rate your games and the criteria you use and go with that. Like who out there I guess who out there actually like thinks IGN is a who out there thinks IGN is a good site? Yeah. <laughs> like, like I don't know. There's people out there. I think we're too we're getting we're too old, Nick. I think we are. Well that's why when I have my kid He's coming on the MASHcast, and he's going to represent the young gaming voice. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> it's going to be Looking tough. forward be- to it. It's yeah. going to be tough having him on before he actually learned to speak, but we'll figure something out. Yeah, we'll get it together. We're smart yeah. guys. <laughs> right, let's move on to uh, the next uh, our next piece, which is about the indie apocalypse, which I didn't even know was going on until Nick brought it up. Well, th- here's the thing. like, I've been trying to find, because the stuff that I've seen about the indie apocalypse is like... Now that the indie apocalypse has happened, what do we do? And the problem that I'm having is finding when it happened. (laughs) (laughs) Because, like, there's no... Like, and here's the thing. I went back to looking at pieces from, like, 2013. And they were like, things are getting shitty for indie developers. And so sometime between, like, 2013 and 2015, things got shitty for indie developers, but it's not clear when. And it's just everybody seems to agree. I shouldn't even say everybody seems to agree, because a lot of what I'm seeing about the indie apocalypse is that it happened, or that it, not that it happened, but there was no indie apocalypse. That it's a myth. And so, I mean, basically, b- b- before... Before we get into this any further, I think we should sort of talk about what the indie apocalypse is. Is basically, it's that 
the that there's so many games coming out. It is the barrier to entry for producing a game is so low now that it is impossible for anybody to actually make money by producing indie games. And that basically sort of the app store effect that we've seen on iTunes and the app store and on Android has now come to steam and it, it that steam puts out too many games and it's impossible for anybody who's not a, a triple a indie developer. I guess that's what triple I, I think I've seen it called a triple yeah. I indie developer <laughs> for anybody who is basically like not a big indie developer to get traction in the industry. And this is the current state of the indie landscape, and this is what everybody's dealing with. And so I guess whatever point this came to pass, which is very non-specified, as I said, sometime between 2013 and now, that is the indie apocalypse. Yeah, and I'm, <laughs> I mean, the thing about it is eventually this was going to happen anyway. Like, as an indie developer, when you see you know, uh, Epic making their tool set more accessible. Crytek making their tool set more accessible. Unity making their tool set more accessible. Steam, period. I mean, like, because of digital distribution, you should kind of see this coming and, 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 and plan ahead. It's not impossible for you to make money now on top of making a great game because you, now your game needs to stand out, okay? But now you have to actually work more on marketing. And getting your game in front of the right people and get that word of mouth out there. So maybe that should mean they should have included that into their costs, their marketing costs. But it's not just that, because the problem, though, is that that means that the job that you need to hire somebody to marketing do, that costs more money as far as you're right, that you need to incorporate having another job. You're paying somebody to do that, or you're taking time out of your schedule developing to go out and do the marketing and to push for that. Um, but even that said, there's just so many games out there that even hiring somebody to do that, like their job's not easy. And I'm not saying anybody's job should be easy necessarily, but it's not what it was five years ago. It's not what it was three years ago. Yeah. Um, that it's, it's just... Especially because, I mean, it, you know, fundamentally it used to be, you know, you're a guy, you're in your garage. I don't know why the st stereotype is always a guy in his garage doing development. Garages are not great places to work yeah. unless you're working <laughs> on cars. Yeah. But you're a guy in your garage and, you know, you're going to pump out some indie game or maybe you're a small team of like two or three people. You're going to pump out some indie game like that was possible. Now you're at least need to be like two to four people because you need that marketing person. And even then, that marketing person may need a ton of money and and to be established and have good contacts. I mean, then that's the hard thing too, is if you're just starting out, you've got to go make those contacts. Now you and every other guy is trying to make the same contacts. And, you know, fundamentally, I mean, you know, you're, who, you're reaching out to somebody at IGN. I mean, what, you know, like, what are you doing? It's everybody's trying to do the same thing. It's just, there's just so many people competing that I guess it's, it's almost like really, I think the indie apocalypse will have happened when those people, you know, I don't want to say they die, but fundamentally, like, they get washed out of the system. Is that if if there's if it's so stringent the demands for being an indie developer, if it's hard to get your game out, at some point, all these people that are pushing in have to leave the table, and it's like a like a tide, like the tide has to go down, and then at that point, whoever's left standing can sort of you know develop and grow, and then you'll see people come back, and and it's a bit cyclical in that regard, but. Um, yeah, that's that's where we are now. Is that there's a lot of developers arguing that there's too many developers. 
Yeah, I mean, I, it's it doesn't mean that. I guess the point that I'm hung up on is that it's impossible to make good money, and I, I just don't think that's the case. I I think the hard part is figuring out how to get your name out there. It's who like, you know getting in front of the right people. You know, and that and that's the thing. Like making a demo that wows somebody, putting together a trailer that wows somebody, and getting people to watch it. You know that that you could, that's 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 the tough part. Yeah, I forget where I saw it, and I apologize for not giving credit to whomever for this idea. Um, but somebody pointed out they said you can look at old games to see the model that they used for you know success and monetization and all of that. But once you're able to do a case study on something that happened, then that model is already no longer valid for the existing market. Huh. So you you can't replicate what somebody else did. It, you know, you're always going to have to come up with something new on your own. And I mean, and that, that that's tough. <laughs> that's tough. I mean, I, I think the problem is that maybe too, that you've got so many people coming in, everybody looks back at all the successful games. They're not looking back at all the failed games, mind you, but everybody looks back at all the successful games from like before 2013. And they're like, man, indie developers had it so much easier back then. Now everything is tough. And it's like, no, they, they may not have. Yeah. <laughs> they probably had just, like things were probably tough back then too. You're right. right. There's more people now. You're entirely right. But it's not like, you know, you just made a game and you just went to valve and it got put on steam and you made millions of megabucks that this, you know, the system's always, the system's always been an uphill battle for an indie developer. So it's still uphill. Maybe it's a little steeper of a climb, but. Well, yeah, well, their battle back then was making people realize that indie wasn't garbage. You know, yeah. that, was, that was the big thing about like, you know, you got to like, they have to they have to help people realize that these indie games are worth your time. And that sometimes that most indie games are going to be your most intimate gaming experiences. Yeah. You know. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the indie developers, they'll survive. They'll still keep on pumping out great indie games. Uh, especially because now you have publishers that even focus on indie specifically, like um, uh, Devolver Digital is like my favorite publisher right now. The great stuff that they push out. Oh yeah, you know they push out excellent, excellent games. So I'm, I'm looking forward. See, to I think they would be qual- they, they would be considered like that in that triple I tier because they established themselves earlier. Like they're they're in a position that they can survive. They can kind of. Like, like, as I said, when the tide goes down, like, they'll be one of the companies that'll survive. And I could actually see them, and maybe this is part of, like, a natural trend that we've been watching. Because I, I know in, like, years past, I think it's been even state of the gaming unions that we've done. Like, we've talked about the death of the death of AAA, and that game costs are getting so huge at the hot, high, end, high end of the spectrum. Like, you can't make money on them, and that's, like... You know, AAA is not going to exist anymore, and we're going to see, like, an indie resurgence, which we kind of have. And... It almost seems what's, what's, what's going to happen is you're going to see some of these indie developers. They're just like they're going to be successful enough that when things begin to consolidate, they'll grow, they'll expand, and I could see like Devolver Digital like 30 years from now them being the next Konami. And we talk about like what the hell did they do and why did they fire so and so? Like like this is kind of like the genesis for that. That. I think we're we're seeing these companies sort of evolve and move on, and and we're look because we're looking at it on a very small time scale, even a year, two years. There's not a lot of change, but if you look, I mean, what, like what was Konami doing 30 years ago? Did AAA game development 
did that like did, did that sort of mindset even exist back then? I mean, fundamentally, I think you'd look at like stuff like the original Castlevania, you know, Blades of Steel, you know, and, and those would have been AAA games. But like, the, what AAA development back in the ni- the eighties and nineties looked like compared to now is vastly different. And I think we'll see some of these indie development houses. They'll evolve to be the major players, you know, in the 2020s, in the 2030s. Um, and this is this is their genesis. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like I said, I'm looking forward to watch to well, to, to some publishers like Devolver Digital see where they come out this year because they haven't let me down yet. I mean, they put a Hotline Miami two last year. That that was that I I was in that game. <laughs> I was in that game, which is a little dangerous, you know, <laughs> because I, the type of game it is. But I was in that game, man. You know, I don't know what it would look like, but I do want to see a Hotline Miami Hotline Bling mashup. I don't. <laughs> I don't. It's just Drake dancing with animal masks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'll pass. Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Moving on. Let's go ahead and move right yeah. along. Nick killed it. <laughs> <laughs> and 2016 is over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, what I do want to touch on kind of quickly is microtransactions. Obviously, there's a gamer backlash against microtransactions, but the industry is still pushing forward with microtransactions. And we saw that, you know, with Payday 2, a game that at some point it was promised that they would never do microtransactions. And even that guy, the person who promised it isn't the same guy, you know, the same person in charge that, uh, did it they they still did it and during this event too and there was a lot of backlash during the, and we covered that on the mash cast the one i want to talk about specifically though is microtransactions in halo 5 you know we're used to seeing at this point and maybe that's kind of the point we're used to seeing these card packs for sports games you know where you can build your team but you got to get these card packs and buy card packs we're using that for sports games and that was kind of like a thing that you know that they just do which on a side note, by the way, just to talk about that, how bad that is for gaming, uh, because those because those card packs, it's caused a certain, I mean, no, an up and up. Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A surge, I guess, a surge in account hacking, because people will try to account hack to try to hack accounts, and then use whatever credit cards on file to buy a bunch of these card packs and then sell them on the black market. So, microtransactions in that fashion, very bad for gaming. But anyway, so we saw microtransactions like that actually come to Halo 5 this year and these rec packs. Basically, 343 built an entire multiplayer game mode based around these rec packs, which the rec packs are, um, they're ba- they are, I guess, cosmetic changes to your weapons. And sometimes they allow you access to certain vehicles, and I'm not sure if, if they restrict any weapons, but certain vehicles in the game itself. But most of it's cosmetic stuff. But you know, you can buy rec packs for a dollar, five dollars, or you can buy like the ultimate, like you know, a, a huge rec pack for twenty five bucks. But we, we're seeing that happen in regular games, so it looks like the industry is pushing forward with microtransactions, even though there's a, there's a huge backlash. You know, they actually even Destiny went microtransactions. Uh, now you can buy dances and other things from the Everest Trading Co., which I went in there once. They give you silver. They gave me like 400 silver that I'd never spent. 
Uh, but that's that's the in-game currency, and you can buy dances and things of that nature. But even that got out of control, of course it did, because Destiny, where, you know, pr- with price gouging, like, the Thriller dance during Halloween was $10. A dance was $10. You know, and it's 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 a little ridiculous. And I would say the way to fix this is to not buy, you know, if you buy a $60 game, don't fucking use, don't buy microtransactions. Don't get involved yourself in microtransactions. But that's not going to happen. Because you know how many people I see in Destiny with that fucking Thriller dance? Because it's a Thriller dance. It's awesome. But it was also $10. It's also $10. (laughs) Like, it's, you gotta, if you don't want them to completely, like, fuck up your game with microtransactions to the point where, well, now you gotta buy, uh, now you have to buy, let's say, um, uh, exotic shards and destiny with microtransactions, or you can try to get it dropped, you know, but the drop rate is like one out of every 100 or some ridiculous number. So, you know, if you don't want them to fuck it up, you can't participate in the microtransactions. You can't be one of those people who's like, well, they're going to do it anyway, so I might as well. You've already lost and you're part of the problem. If you're going to, if, if you don't want games to charge for microtransactions, then you're going to wind up with games that cost $140 when you buy all the parts. That, no, I think. I, no, I, I don't think so. Because you're talking about Destiny specifically. <laughs> you're, talking about, you're talking about Destiny specifically. Destiny does, did not need to cost $150. It didn't need to cost $150. If Guild Wars. If Guild Wars, if you can pay $60 for Guild Wars once and not pay anything else for Guild Wars, Destiny 100% I know could have ran with just the 60 bucks that they paid or that the players paid originally. You're, you're not wrong, and I, I'm, I'm setting up Destiny because it is such a bad example. Yes. But, but no, the, the, problem, the problem fundamentally is, is that it's, it's almost like some version of the prisoner's dilemma that... I know I won't buy microtransactions. Like I know you won't buy microtransactions. You probably I know you would be less likely to buy microtransactions than I would. <laughs> but, yes. <laughs> but the problem is that you've got to account for all the other people out there who you can't trust to not buy microtransactions. Because you're right, if we as a gaming community stood up together and united and held our hands and said we are not buying microtransactions, then this never becomes a problem. But we can't do that. We couldn't do that. There's, there's always going to be somebody out there that's going to think that's a good idea, and they're going to go for it. And fundamentally, I, I don't want to say like this is just the way it is, but it's, it's kind, of, it's kind of like we can't stop spam. We can't stop those stupid emails that say Viagra with the, you know, V14G4R4 that come through. Because somebody clicks on them and somebody uses them. And it's a very small percentage, but it's enough people out there. And again, because spam spam is you know super cheap to produce, it's enough people to justify that happening. And if we can't stop that, which is obviously a terrible idea, if we can't if we like we should be able flat out, everybody should know when you see those kind of emails, do not click on them, do not buy your Viagra from there. If we can't stop that, right. then we can't stop microtransactions. Because at the end of the day, you know, as as dumb as it is to spend ten dollars on a thriller dance, that is a legitimate transaction. 
Somebody out there said, I will feel better. I will enjoy, you know, not having this $10 in my wallet and instead being able to press a button and watch my guy do the thriller dance. And that's, that's sort of the fundamental crux is that, that there's, there's always people that are going to like this. And, and to game developers credit, they're exploiting that. They should because, because I mean, I, I joke about Destiny and, and you do have games like Guild Wars that are successfully able to, you know, to, 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 you know, build an economy around not having a subscription fee. But I mean, even, I mean, put, even putting aside how much it costs to develop games, like they're, they're all out to make a profit. This is about being a business. Well, yeah, I'm not saying don't make money, but no, 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 and, business but, and but, greed. No. And, and so like implementing microtransactions is a valid way of doing that. Is it the best way? Is it the most consumer friendly way? No. Well, like, you know, it can be, it can be because it can be, you know, and I say that only because I, I've, I haven't paid for my Warcraft subscription. I'm, I, I, I've gone a full year. I, I haven't paid for my Warcraft subscription since March. I don't have to pay it, uh, or since May rather. And I'm paid up through this coming May because of the, uh, the gold, uh, the, the gold, uh, token that they allow. The wow token. Man. The wow token. Yeah, I'm the one that talks about, well, you're correcting me on things. Yeah. But, <laughs> no, and so, like, like if you approach your games with a certain understanding, and, and it really it fundamentally depends on the game that you're approaching as far as how you want to look at it and pay, you know, to pay for it, what you're willing to pay for. I, I can't say I never, but I, I think the only times that I've actually purchased, like, purchased anything off the WoW store, other than my subscription has been like when they do the charity pets. Cause all the, it's like, I was going to give $10 to charity anyway. I might as well get a pet for it. But like, other than that, I don't buy any of the mounts. I don't buy any of the customizations. I don't buy any of the stuff in destiny. Um, and, and you know, that's the, you know, that's the decision that I've made not to partake in this system. But if people want to, and, and if people want to, the game companies are kind of stupid not to let people give them money. So, it's you know fundamentally if if they can make more money if if it helps them adjust the cost of the game if it helps them lower the cost of the game going forward that you know maybe something like Overwatch they can get away with selling it only for forty dollars because they know that they're going to get a ton of money on the other side for skins that you know if it'll allow them to you know make a free to play game or, or even you know if if, if a you know, it comes down fundamentally as long as the player understands how the game is being monetized. The developer can make the best choices for how to monetize their game, you know, given what they're trying to do. Then, you know, the system should be working. I think the problem is that it still comes down to seeing AAA titles that we still expect for $60 with, you know, to get full content. It's, you know, we're not, you know, I mean, there are some games that abuse the system more than others. I mean, we get how many AAA games came out this year or last year, rather, how many AAA games came out last year? For $60, all you got was multiplayer. And even, you know, limited multiplayer at that. Yes. Yeah. That I think we're still seeing situations where the monetization of the game does not match what the game, or does not match what we expect the game to provide us. But, and that's where I think we see the conflict, that they're over-monetizing some of these cosmetic options, that yeah. they're, they're under-delivering other features. Right. And it's not, uh, what's the word? it's not impossible, because Batman last year felt like a full game. Like, that was a full game for $60, and then the DLC felt like an add-on. It was a shitty add-on, but it felt like an add-on. Uh, Metal Gear also... It's felt like a full game before you even get halfway through it, to be honest with you. Um, 
And even I'm thinking of games before that, like, uh, let's look, think about, like, um, Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite was a full-fledged game. And the DLC that came after it felt like an add-on. It actually felt like D- what DLC was meant to be. You know, keep the game alive a little bit longer. That's what that's what it was. But then you have companies that are that don't do that. That you know, you have a Call of Duty effect where you have the game, and then once every quarter, pay another fifteen dollars for some new maps that you probably needed to have. Uh, you know, you probably they probably should have just put in the original package. You know, and that that's the problem. It's 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 an extension of DLC and microtransactions is going even farther now. It's not out of control yet because Halo 5, I enjoyed Halo 5 a lot. If Halo 5 did feel like a full game, uh, I thought the rec packs were a bit much. But if this goes well, it's just going to get worse to the point where now we are experiencing microtransactions for a game that we're paying $60 for. And we have to pay microtransactions to get things done uh, or to, you know, to fully experience the game. And it may not be like, well, you got to pay... Two dollars for this part of the game, or two dollars for that part of the game. Maybe be like, oh, okay. Like, you know, for example, in Metal Gear, there are these things that you have to develop. You know, you, you have to develop your base, you have to develop your weapons, things like that. What if they were like, well, to develop this part of your base is going to take forty-eight hours, and you really can't do anything until after the base is developed. So, if you want to, pay five dollars, and it happens right now. You know, and that's what we want to avoid. That's 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 what we're trying to avoid here. I think the the, the barn door is already open on that one. Well, that it, for for certain games that are free to play, yeah. No, but and that's I think that's the problem is that we can't. I don't think we can avoid that. I think it's it, it's going to happen. It's that. No, see, Nick, you have a defeatist attitude. It doesn't have to happen. We can show them that we're not going to stand for this, but you speak with your money. I've been saying that for five years. <laughs> Things have gotten worse for five years. Speak you're the only the one money. that stands there. You're the only one. <laughs> you're the only guy standing there like, no, we can do, We don't have to do this. And everybody else just runs around with their wallet out yelling, you take my money. And so, no, no. Yeah. You know, it's lonely at the top, Nick. <laughs> it's, it's, you're at the top because you're rich because you still have all your money <laughs> uh, okay let's uh, go into our next item which was probably the saddest thing that happened all year but uh, Satoru Iwata passed away and uh, I don't know that was that was that was pretty heart wrenching for everybody I think for the for the whole for well for the for the core gaming audience because it wasn't like it was Bobby Kotick or like you know Peter whatever who's running EA it's like Satoru Iwata like this guy loved video games like he wasn't just a suit he was a developer like he programmed he he was the president of HAL Laboratories but that's after he made games like Kirby you know we looked i looked up a little, something a little earlier and discovered you know how pokemon came to america and he had a big he had a lot to do with that and that's cuz he literally went and drilled down into the code and said this is how we can do this, this is how we can localize the game uh for america you know and satoru wada's death that was it's almost like one of the, it was like you saw one of the good guys go down but then there were all those great videos and memorials uh, that they had of him, which was which was you know pretty touching. 
don't know. As a as a you know a president, he really he really represented Nintendo very very well. And I'm curious. And I think Nintendo's they can keep it moving. You know, they can keep you know keep moving forward uh, in the same fashion they have because they still got Miyamoto, they got Reggie, uh, and they can keep their identity. But you know, Iwata, you know, he really helped shape that. I'm pretty sure Iwata was actually the first president that wasn't part of the actual family that started Nintendo. You know, so that that that, that says a lot for him. He he wasn't with the company originally. He was with HAL Laboratories, and then uh, Nintendo bought them, and there he was. And think about what he did while he was in charge. You you got the Wii while he was in charge. You got the the DS and the 3DS. Like Nintendo was printing their own money for quite some time, which is why with the Wii U's failure, it's not that big of a deal. And even then, he he started everything for the NX, which. We'll see where that goes. Yeah, I'm really, really hoping the NX is going to be what they, what, kind of what they're saying it is, you know? Because I would love for them to make a comeback. And then I would personally send, like, a letter to Michael Pactor at that point. Because he's been calling for their death for so long. <laughs> so long. Like, still alive, bitch. <laughs> you know, I, would be so, I would be so happy for them. Because they, a lot of people have been... You know, just predicting Nintendo's death. Oh, Nintendo needs to go mobile, which they did, and we're going to actually get into that a little bit. But, uh, you know, Nintendo needs to, you know, drop this wall. Like, no, that's how they maintain their quality. Nintendo is the only console manufacturer that has system-selling games. People will buy a Nintendo console for one game. How many people are going to buy a Wii U when Zelda comes out? A bunch of people bought... You know, uh, Wii U when Smash Brothers came out. Uh, drop a Mario game, people are going to buy a, a Wii U or, or a Nintendo console. You know? I bought a, 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 um, I bought a DS, well, I bought a 3DS specifically for Pokemon. One game. You know, like, it's... I don't know, like, the, the Nintendo, if they do right by the NX, we can see something special. Uh, but moving from bad news to... Even more bad news, the uh, the Batman Arkham Knight, which, to my opinion, in my opinion, it is the best game that came out in 2015. The absolute best game that came out in 2015, I was the Batman while I played that game. Uh, it, it, it will forever be tarnished by its PC release. Yes. Like I don't, it, I don't think it got any awards last year because of its PC release. The PC release, for those who have been hiding under a rock, the PC release was absolutely terrible, unplayable to a degree. Now I do know one or two people who actually had it and was able to play it, but for most people, they were not able to play it. The frame rates were too low, no matter what type of hardware you were using. So, yeah, it was so bad, they stopped selling it on Steam. Then they worked on it for a few months. Rockstar directly worked, not Rockstar, sorry, Rocksteady worked on it directly for a few months, re-released it, still just as bad, to the point where they had to offer refunds. I don't think it was just as bad, but it was still pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah, it is, uh, yeah, and really, I mean, it really... It sucks because it was such a good game, and the and it's the end of that series. It's the end of the the Arkham series, 
And it's kind of just like, well, that's that. Like, there's no recognition for it. And it was an amazing, amazing game. Well, to be fair, don't screw up one third of your release like that. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say that it shouldn't have been in the discussions or not, but I think that, that whatever criteria you're going to go go by to judge like what was your game of the year like you're gonna look like okay well like what systems was it released for like how did it deliver on all those systems it was one because yeah like i think you have to factor in the fact that the pc release was so botched when you're calculating the score like even if the even if like if they had just made it console exclusive like if that would have been enough to carry it the game of the year which it sounds like what you're saying is that should have been the case or at least put it in the game of the year discussion more than it was um you know you know even if they did that the fact that they botched the PC thing so bad, like you can't talk about it that way. It's, it's, I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's kind of hard because like you, you, you can't separate the good from the bad, even though you want to like, I mean, do you look at like the highest highs and ignore the lowest lows or you, do you talk about the whole thing as one unified item, which it, you know, I mean, yes, the PC and the, the console versions are separate, but they're still the same product at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, I, 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 it's it, you're right. It's a shame that that Rocksteady didn't get recognition for putting out such a great game. But at the same time, then they shouldn't have put out such a shitty PC version. And I know that that fault primarily falls more on Warner Brothers than Rocksteady. Yeah. But like, what they did was unconscionable. Like, like the, they knew they knew how crappy it was, and they they didn't they didn't stop to say, hey, let's not put this out. Let's you know cancel development at this point because no they they went ahead and did it and they i i almost think they i mean they must have looked at stuff like assassin's creed from last year and been like they'll be okay with it (laughs) if if ubisoft could get away with the bugs in assassin's creed uh, this is pc nobody plays pc anyway like they must have thought that they could they could get away with it and they they didn't so so you know yeah I, i feel bad for some of the developers at rocksteady but at the same time like they they brought this on themselves, or Warner Brothers brought this on themselves. This shouldn't have happened. Yeah, they did. Def- they definitely treated PC like uh, nobody's playing PC, which is foolish. I mean, that just shows that whoever makes those decisions or made that decision for them isn't paying attention to the industry. No, because the PC, though, the whole PC is in a downfall. PC is not an important thing. That was like mid two thousands, you know, and. Now, like, it's PC's been, it's not even in a resurgence anymore. Like, PC is out of resurgence and is doing well. Uh, to the point where, especially, like, the uh, games that ha- are supposed to be high fidelity are working primarily on PC. Mm. You know, that, that's, that's their primary, that's their primary console. So, you know, they're not paying attention and they just decide, like, ah, we'll give it to some company and they'll, they'll do the port and they'll be fine. And then to actually release that port when they knew it was terrible. You know that that that's real bad. Like, and then that's this is why I didn't buy Batman on PC because WB Games. I knew that they had trouble. Uh, well, they didn't respect the PC community, and they they would release garbage and be like, "Oh, well, that's it." Because there's actually things in uh, Arkham was Arkham Origins that are just broken and they won't fix it. They just come out and said, "No, nah, no, nah, we're not going to fix that. Like that's not it." So that's why I don't buy. I don't buy WB games. I don't buy Ubisoft games for PC, except Siege. I'm sorry, I did give Rainbow Six Siege for PC. That's because my friend won't leave me alone about it. 
But <laughs> other than that, like, you know, that that's the only reason why. But, you know, fortunately for me, I have a PS4 and an Xbox One besides my PC. So if a game is multi-console or multi uh you know, multi platform, I can get it on one of the on another platform of my choosing. But not everybody has that option. Unfortunately. That's just that's just the way it is. So that really, really sucked. But this is just another game that <laughs> they 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 really show that they were about that money and not about making sure they delivered not even about gamers you know it's not even to be about being in the gamers corner on their side but they they're consumers they didn't care about the product they delivered to their consumers they wanted to get the money and then get out and that's it and this is something that's very unique to games and software in general i say software because you know games are software but i i actually don't even see other software packages uh drop you know let's say dropping having people pay for a product and then it just not work and games that's unique wb games they gave refunds that was a pr save that had they, nobody was gonna make them do that though there was no force behind it that said they had to do it so you know we can have or actually we have publishers and developers that will release a, a, a broken game and then just leave it in your lap and that's it you know, like they'll, they'll drop a broken game, leave it in your lap, and then, oh, well, I, we tried, and then they'll go home, they'll just go with your money. That's a very unique thing to video games. And nobody, I think people don't take it serious because it is video games. Mm. You know, because, they, oh, it's just video games. And video games, is very they're very stigmatized across, well, I don't even know if it's like that across the world. Across the country, for sure. Not in Korea, though. <laughs> Love that place. <laughs> but, um... Oh, and in Japan. I mean, obviously, video games are big business in Japan as well. Oh, shit. I mean, video games are big business in the United States. But people don't really take it seriously when, you you know, if I was going to go to Congress and say, hey, I bought Assassin's Creed Unity, or or, let's just keep it Batman. Hey, I bought Batman Arkham Knight for PC, and it's a complete lemon, and they're not going to give me my money back. They're just like, okay. Like, I mean, who am I going to get to get on my side about that in the United States? Nobody. Well, the problem is gamers can't buy any lawyers to, to help them argue the case because they spend all their money on microtransactions. Thanks, Nick. And we're going to go ahead and move on at that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but um, yeah, so Nick touched on the fact that we, we've been having, you know, multiplayer only games for 60 bucks. And that is true. And I really don't want to see this trend continue, even though it doesn't affect me as much as a, with a PC as a PC gamer. Um, so, we saw at least two games this year that cost $60. That is a AAA premium price, and were multiplayer only. Star Wars Battlefront and Rainbow Six Siege. So, I've barely played Rainbow Six Siege, so I cannot tell you if it's worth $60 or not, but it is multiplayer only. And there's also an additional season pass, by the way, uh, for 30 bucks. I don't know... I, I actually don't even know what's fully in the DLC yet, but it better be a lot for $30 for a multiplayer-only game, but we'll see. Um, Star Wars also is going to have DLC, but their DLC costs $60. So you pay 60 for the game and $60 for the DLC. But it's multiplayer-only. And on top of that, Star Wars is such a casual game that maybe, maybe if Star Wars was a bit more advanced or had... Um, some some challenging mechanics to it or something like that, I would say maybe it's worth six bucks, but no, it is extremely lazy. Like the guns don't have recoil. 
Uh, well, they have they barely have recoil. They shoot in a straight line. They really like as a game. Star Wars Battlefront is not worth sixty dollars. I'm sorry, it really isn't. And and Siege, like I said, well, I bought it, but I didn't pay sixty dollars for it. I got it on Steam sale, and because it was on Steam sale, I got the game plus the DLC for like sixty-seven dollars, I think, total. So, and as opposed to paying $90. So, I got, I got both. So, that's why it's going to be hard for me to tell what's DLC and what's not. I'm going to really have to pay attention to those trailers that I don't like to watch now. <laughs> yeah, but I, will, I, I hope this doesn't really become a trend because, and I, like I said, I've barely played Siege, so I can't tell you if it's worth $60 or not. But Star Wars definitely is not worth $60. No, but they could sell it for that much because, well, one, it was a beautiful looking game. And two, it had the Star Wars logo on it, and they're they're selling it right before the movie. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that this won't continue. But uh, those games seem to have sold well, or at least Star Wars sold well. So, although it did get a lot of flack for its price, so we'll we'll see. Really, I think I mean you're already seeing a bit of a blowback towards Blizzard for Overwatch, uh, which is going to be sixty dollars on console, not on PC though, not on PC, not and that's and I think that's why the the blowback is a bit mitigated. Uh, because it's really only people complaining that it's going to be $60 on console. I think that part of that was the, I think they realized the game's not worth $60, but they couldn't, you know, it seems that they couldn't get it out. They couldn't sell it for less than $60. I don't know what kind of agreements they may have had with that. Because, yeah, if it's $40 on PC, it should be $40 on the PlayStation. I don't know why it, they, well, they can't do it that way. Probably because with, with, with the digital distribution for PC, right? They're gonna go. Blizzard's gonna go through their own channel for that. However, with the distribution through consoles, I can almost guarantee you they're gonna go through Activision's channels. Yes, and that's probably why. Yeah. So, I mean, that's yeah. So, I, I mean, we've, so we've already got one game coming out this year that is gonna be multiplayer only for sixty bucks. Um, we'll have to see what other games fall under that banner, but. Yeah, it's not a well. I, it, it's 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 sort of a. On the one hand, we've complained in years past about games, uh, you know, like oh, this is really a multiplayer game, but they just slapped on some single player stuff, or this is a single player game and they slapped on some multiplayer. So it's good to see that we're moving away from that. Like, if you're gonna have a game, just focus on what the game does well and don't add anything on arbitrarily just to meet some criteria that you don't really care about. But at the same time. The problem, though, is that if you're going to do that, then the price should go down to match what you're actually selling, and it's not. So it's a stealth price increase. Yeah, I'm paying forty bucks for it. <laughs> actually, no, I really, really like Overwatch, so I'd probably get the uh, the Origin Edition, which is sixty dollars on PC. But I don't even know what that is on console. That's sixty dollars. That's yeah, what okay. So they're only offering the origin edition. Yes. Okay. Yes. That's and, and, and to, I mean to Blizzard's credit, that's a clever way to get around the sixty dollar restriction. Is to add, give you some extra stuff on console, make the same package available on PC, but then also offer just the base version on PC that they can't offer on console. Hmm. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, for, for for those who don't know, Overwatch is an awesome game. <laughs> and it's totally worth the 60 bucks. <laughs> and when can we hear more about Overwatch? Oh yeah, we got something cooking for Overwatch. Something's coming soon. I think we announced it in the last podcast, didn't we? That mm-hmm. we, we have a, we have a, our, our, our uh, Overwatch podcast po- um, watch point. 
is uh, going to be out. Actually, it's going to be out this week. Wednesday of this week is going to be the first episode of Watchpoint. Cool. So you'll be able to hear that. Uh, but yeah, uh, you'll hear me and Jason Bond talk about it and talk about how bad non-first-person shooter players are. So if that's your thing, come on over. <laughs> if you're a bad first-person shooter player, listen to the podcast. Absolutely. We'll help you. We'll get you there. Uh, let's go into our, our last you know, topic for our, our state of the gaming for 2016, which is Nintendo branching into mobile. So they're, they're taking advice, you know, that a lot of analysts said, well, but even though the analysts wanted them to completely drop in the console market and go into mobile, or at least allow their IP into mobile, Nintendo is going into mobile, but they're doing it the Nintendo way. I think the first game that they actually announced was Pokemon Go. Which Pokemon Go is a Pokemon game, is an AR game or augmented reality game for your mobile phone. And you will catch Pokemon in the real lives, <laughs> you know, and you can battle Pokemon with real life people. And there will be special Pokemon that you can catch in certain locations. And uh, you can trade with people. I wonder if you'll be able to trade with people across the internet. Or does that defeat the purpose? I think it defeats the purpose. Yeah, but the the game is being developed by the same people who make Ingress, and the only reason I know that game exists is because I have a friend who's pretty much addicted to it. Uh, she she loves it. And it's a game where you have to go to physical locations, and you make these hack points and portals and stuff like that, and she's met a lot of people playing it. There's a huge community behind it, but those are the guys who are working on Pokemon Go. And I'm I I don't know I, I I'm a huge Pokemon fan but I don't know if that's what I want I kind of liked my boxed experience with Pokemon. You're old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Obviously so. Obviously so. Yeah. Like I don't know when I'm outside I leave I kind of leave my games behind. Oh, I mean, you can't tell me I'm not a huge gamer because of everything that I have. But I mean I I kind of when I'm outside I'm, I'm doing other things. No, it's it's a different experience. It's I mean, this doesn't invalidate your old Pokemon, um, but no, it's a different experience. I think it's I think well, I, I think we disagree on this as far as uh, sort of VR with what's coming, um, AR kind of falling into that same same play space. Um, th- this is I think this is. This may not, I mean, this is like the first step into a larger world. Um, well, like it's not even really the first step. Like you said, Ingress already exists. But I think this is something that it will, it, it's going to, you know, move the technology. It's, we're going to see more stuff like this coming. Um, it, and especially the fact that it uses, uh, you know, a known franchise like Pokemon, where you'll have your Pokeballs and you'll actually get to see the Pokemon coming out of the Pokeballs and fighting in front of you. Um, that's going to be kind of cool. Um, I don't. I haven't done Pokemon in many, many years. I will not be doing this. But I mean, the, the trailer looked amazing for as fictionalized as that was. <laughs> or I should say maybe exaggerated. Yeah, it was exaggerated. exaggerated. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's going to be a little bit lamer when it's like, okay, hold your phone up like you're taking a picture, and now you see the Pokemon stuff happening. Um, you know, I think when we get to like, you know, like Google Glass, I think that would make this a lot cooler. Or the uh, what the Microsoft Hololens with what they showed with the people building Minecraft, Minecraft on stage. But even then, they were like, oh, but the actual window that you see is a lot smaller. It's not like your your entire view is enhanced. Right. Um, no. So I think I think that there's going to be a lot of interesting things coming. Um, you know, as as far as AR and, and VR goes this year, um, and it's good it's good to see Nintendo 
actually embracing some of this technology because, you know, previously, I think with the Wii and stuff, we would have seen them like, oh, we'll let other people kind of get the, well, you know, that's not true though, because Nintendo, Nintendo does, Nintendo tries to innovate, but they don't always innovate in the way you expect them to. Yeah. And I guess it, in this case, for once, it seems like they're actually in, innovating in the same way that a lot of other people are looking. Like, for them to be getting into the AR space, um, it's a bit surprising because you wouldn't expect Nintendo to go there, but they did. They're actually ahead of, I guess, Sony's really the only, Sony's off in the VR space. Yeah. They don't have any AR. Uh, Microsoft has the HoloLens, as I mentioned. Um, so I guess Nintendo, I, I think that, you know, you're seeing the the major game companies sort of, you know, moving into these areas. And I think, you know, two, three years from now, we'll really see this stuff mature. We'll, we'll see some people fail and fall out. Um, we'll see what kind of a success the Oculus is or isn't. Um, and from there, I think we'll, we'll really, you know, I, I'd, I'd say we're a good five, ten years away from a, a, a solid you know, AR or VR console interface that will, uh, that'll be common, you know, like, you know, to go back to the PlayStation nine commercial, I think when the, was it the two or the PlayStation three, they were advertising the PlayStation nine where it was like an orb that like you, that was the PlayStation two. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think we're, we're on our way to getting there. We still have five, five generations to go. That's entirely in play. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm still not excited for VR. Still not. I actually tried it over the holiday break. I got to play with somebody's uh, Google Gla- or Google, uh, Google Cardboard. Yeah. Um, and admittedly, it was just like a roller coaster demo, but it was it it was fun. I mean, it, well, I mean, it, it was interesting. I should say it was one of those things where it's like as long as you kind of like you know shifted your body along with the perceived motion, like it, it you know it gave it more of an effect. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I, there, there's definitely potential there. Mm, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm all for new experiences, but when I play games, I like to play them a certain way. But that's just me, and that's me being old, right, Nick? Yes, that's me being old. Yeah, but I think that's that's gonna do it for us on the on the state of the gaming union here. You got any uh, predictions for this year coming up, Nick? Um, as I said, I think VR. Well, I mean, what we're gonna have the Samsung Gear VR. I think that that's all out already, actually. Um, so, but we'll have the the Oculus. I think comes out this year. We'll have the PlayStation VR. I think that comes out this year. So we'll start to see a lot of movement there. Um, E3 is going to be huge. I think we'll see Microsoft continue to make more ground on Sony. I don't think they'll quite catch them, but th- that gap is going to narrow. And um, I'm going to have a kid. So, yeah. <laughs> so my games, over, huh? <laughs> my games budget is in flux. Ah, so. uh, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think. Uh, I don't know. I think 2015 was an interesting year. I think 2016 will also be an interesting year. Yeah, I mean, I think we're pretty much on the same page as um, we're on the same page with each other. I do think Microsoft is going to have another year where they're making you know big strides to Sony towards Sony, and Sony they can't just keep doing what they're doing right now. They have to make big moves. I'm. I wouldn't be surprised if Sony had like a pretty big announcement in terms of the of the PlayStation services. You know, coming to at E3 if they if they were to do something like that, because they got to do something. Microsoft is going to be nipping at their heels at the end of this year if they just stay the course. You know, maybe they need Kaz to come back and get things moving for them again. And it went, and I, I keep saying when both of them are side by side and they really got to compete for those dollars, 
that's when we're going to see some of the best things come from those two. Absolutely. Yeah, Nintendo's going to give us the best things they can anyway. Nintendo just gives us the best things because that's what they legitimately want to do. Yes. (laughs) Sony and Microsoft need to be reminded that if you give us the best things, we'll give you money. Yes, that is very, very true. So I'm looking forward to uh, the gaming year in 2016. I hope certain trends like microtransactions either level out or, uh, you know, start taking, uh, start backing up of the trend of broken games, which technically speaking, we had two major broken games in 2014 and 2015. We only had one. So that's a 50% reduction. Maybe we get another 50% reduction. Don't have a ridiculous uh, broken game in 2016. Uh, there's going to be a new, well, there's no announcement for it yet, but I'm pretty sure there's going to be a new battlefield. So we'll see if that, if dice continues their trend of making sure, you know, fucked up battlefield multiplayer, you know? So, oh, but yeah, that's gonna, that's gonna bring this show to an end. As always, thank you for listening. You can catch us. Well, let's talk about the other podcasts we do first. How about we do that first here? Uh, so we have uh, Wow Talk, which that's the podcast that Nick leads. And that is every other Tuesday. Uh, there was one last Tuesday. So next Tuesday, right, Nick? That is correct. We will be back on, uh, we should be back either the, what, the 12th or the 13th? Yeah. And it looks like the 12th, yes. It's going to be on the 12th. So uh, this Tuesday, the 5th, is going to be a new in orbit, which Jorge sent to me the other day. So uh, we're going to go ahead and get that ready for Tuesday. You guys will hear that. Uh, There's also Double Tap, which is the first week of every month, which means that's today. When you guys hear this, if you're listening to this now, Double Tap's out. So Double Tap for January 2016 is available. They might also be doing a second special edition this month with a special guest, but we will see. Don't want to drop any uh, details about it until it's in stone. But uh, And then now we also have Watchpoint, which is our... Uh, I was going to say our Destiny podcast, but sorry. It's our, it's our uh, uh, Overwatch podcast, which Overwatch is actually on hiatus uh, well, not on hiatus, but it's temporarily shut down until the middle of January so they can make improvements. I cannot wait for it to come back. That's why I have to beat all these games now. So Overwatch, oh, we got its watch point, and that will be out on the 6th, more than likely. Uh, so, yeah, that's, we, we, you know, we actually have two more podcasts coming out this year that I don't want to get into yet. As they get closer, I will spit out the details. Keep an eye on MashlessButtons.com for those details or, or, or to see them. Uh, all of our podcasts, you can catch them on SoundCloud. They're on iTunes. They're on uh, Overcast for iTunes, for uh, your Apple devices. They're on Stitcher Smart Radio. Uh, they're on Player.fm. They're on Pocket Casts. If you have your own RSS reader, we do have an RSS feed for you to just hop into. Uh, you can catch us on Twitter.com slash MTB site, Facebook.com slash Smash Those Buttons, and YouTube.com slash Smash Those Buttons. Uh, give me your Twitter handle, Nick. I am at WookieBH. Yes, and I am at underscore jaw underscore, so that's underscore J-A-A underscore. And uh, thank you for listening. We will catch you guys next week. Have a great year, everybody. Yeah, have a great year. 